0: Welcome to Take Note, this is episode number 126 of our little podcast here about uh, keeping an eye on the world around you and keeping an ear open and occasionally uh, opening up your notebook and jotting down what you see or what you hear and uh, if you're like us, you start a podcast and then you uh, read read those notes uh, to each other. I am of course here with Adam, hello Adam.
1: Hey Ted, how are you doing?
0: I'm super my human friend. Uh, we are we, we, we have another human friend on the show. Uh, number one fan, occasional co host. Now is one of those times. Ryan Sly is here. Hello Ryan. Hey guys, good to be here. Great to have you as always. What what are you writing with? What are you writing with Ryan? I like Ryan's Ryan's our, our fancy fountain pen guy. Always gotta check in.
2: At the moment I'm using my stainless steel
0: Lamy two thousand. Oh, is it made of stainless steel? It is, indeed. It's quite heavy. Oh, Lamy 2000. Oh, my gosh. See, you're so much fancier. I'm even... I was thinking safari, but I didn't realize who I was talking to. (laughs) Well, we are glad to have you, as always. We brought Ryan on to talk about the New Yorker magazine summer fiction issue. Like, summer's summer's hurtling near its end... uh, so we got to get this in. Got to squeeze it in. Did it last year. Adam, uh, the New Yorkers, a, it's a magazine out of uh, New York City. They they publish fiction, nonfiction, um, some humor. Although I talked to someone recently who said they would never laughed at the shouts and murmurs. You know, the shouts and murmurs were getting better scene. for a
1: while, and I did not laugh once at one of them just last week. I, I'm not sure that I have a... When Simon Rich occasionally writes one, they're funny.
0: Um, I read one the other week that I was just, I just didn't.
1: Yeah, I was shocked.
0: I I uh, watched uh, some stand up comedy on YouTube today, and I was scrolling through the comments, which you're always. I think you're you're always supposed to do that. Uh, yeah, it's better um, than the it's better <laughs> than the stand up comedy. And a commenter wrote, uh, "I." I didn't laugh out loud, but I breathed slightly heavier through my nose at several moments. <laughs> I thought that was a pretty impressive burn. Um, well, we start the show uh, by reading some notes to each other, uh, prompted by the question, what do you got? I'd like to start with our guest, Ryan, what do you got?
2: All right, so I went to Wyoming with a family, couple weeks up there, went to Yellowstone, Grand Teton, did not have a Yellowstone or Grand Teton uh, National Parks edition of Field Notes to take with me.
1: Did you even go uh, then?
2: <laughs> I, I, well, here's why I did, because I did happen to have a Wyoming Debtor Prince Field Notes Phew. Uh, by coincidence.
0: Save. Yeah, Total which,
2: save. Uh, save the whole vacation, really, for <laughs> everyone involved. Um But in that Wyoming debtor print I wrote, I had some downtime on our vacation in Wyoming. I bought a Moose Jewel Brown Ale from Big Big Sky Brewing and found a comfortable chair near an open window and away from people. I looked up from my book sometime later when an older man walked by to catch the view. He turned around and in a gravelly weathered voice said, you know how to live, I can see that. I gave a genuine chuckle and full-heartedly said nothing and went back to it.
1: <laughs> oh, that's wonderful!
0: <laughs> I mean, I've always said that about you.
2: I mean, do you do it I in the gravelly I voice? Though? I couldn't disagree at the time. It was feeling pretty good.
0: That—that <laughs> uh, that is. Uh, I, I feel like the, the Wyoming uh, Chamber of Commerce ensures that that guy walks past every visitor to the state at some point during their visit to ensure a revisit. Yeah, mission accomplished. <laughs> he was an actor. <laughs> <laughs> what do you got, Adam?
1: Well, no kidding, guys. I have I have absolutely nothing. You know, you got to know when to hold them and you got to know when to fold them. I think I'm holding them and folding them here. Um I have truly no what he got. I, I will just continue, you know, last week I began addressing what I think I described as a midlife crisis obsession with whales. Um, and I think maybe this show will just um, track, not even really a midlife crisis, just like a, a thoughts that indicate I'm becoming an old man. And so uh, this week's obsession is with facial recognition technology. This is... Uh, <laughs> this is not a new obsession it's a it's 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 a it's a long-held concern and um (laughs) there's a good and not a funny article in the new york times a fire in minnesota and arrest in mexico cameras everywhere not funny at all quite concerning and uh that's what i got um which is nothing nothing so that that's how my week's been going that took you, that nothing took you a while. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that's the story of my life. What do you got, Ted? <laughs> Were you recognized uh, at either event, the fire or the, uh, the arrest? I, I, I do not believe I was, but I mean, I think if we start to think about it, I, you know, I, I must be getting recognized everywhere. And, yeah,
0: um, yep. yeah.
2: The masks Let's, help.
0: That's the glamorous, uh, life and podcasting that you chose for yourself. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. Um,
1: Don't come back around to me. Seriously. Got nothing.
0: (laughs) Okay. Uh, Well, thanks for teeing me up there, Adam. Um, Let's see. My next one. uh, My favorite joke that I tell only to myself. After watching a trailer uh, for any Hollywood film, I mutter to myself, what, you couldn't find anyone attractive to be in your movie? (laughs) Uh, it's a joke I tell only myself <laughs> and occasionally I breathe slightly uh, more heavily through my nose after I after I say it have you guys seen the trailer for this uh, Hugh Jackman
1: thing no some sci-fi Hugh Jackman movie it just looks every time you see the trailer it looks worse and worse looks like... <laughs> just a horrible anyway you
0: have to google that after the show yep uh let me I got another quick one let me jump in and then uh, then we'll send it back to uh, Ryan, uh, one reason, the only reason, I would like to be an auto mechanic is to be able to have European cycling races playing constantly on a little 10-inch television in the corner of the garage. Black and white. That is the oh, Black and white. That's the only reason I would <laughs> like to be an auto mechanic. Ryan, what do you got?
2: All right, so overheard on a hike uh, in, in Grand Tiental National Park. These are uh, several quotes, so I'll give you the quotes and, and who who said them. Um, "The girls need their books." That was an angry <laughs> mom. Uh, that tree is just different in all the right ways. That's a tree hugger <laughs> <laughs> Keep the change. That's my son Charlie, apropos of nothing to himself. <laughs> Not, still don't know what that was about, but we try to find out. You will. Uh, stay with your family. That's Angry Mom 2. And, uh, the reckoning. Have, my bedtime is 7 o'clock. An oversharing but sensible boy. <laughs> and uh, I don't like walking. I don't like running. That was Artistic Boy.
1: <laughs> artistic boy.
2: Those were quotes heard <laughs> on a hike. Amazing. <laughs> a lot of people for a hike. Yeah, be well, by you it. know, people are trying to get outdoors and go do something for the first time in a long time. It was uh, <laughs> busier than usual, I think. Uh,
0: what do you got, Ted? Uh, okay, uh, so I finally, uh, I finally succumbed to the siren's call and started watching the Ernest Hemingway documentary. Mm-hmm. and it's uh, it's enjoyable, it's fascinating, i not alone in the, uh, in, I, I, you know, I when I found out that Ken Burns was doing a, a new documentary, and it was announced that it was Ernest Hemingway, I thought, finally, getting his time in the spotlight. <laughs> um, I, I, writing a wrong. No, these are not my notes, but I, I uh, you know, they, they show a lot of Ken Burns style uh, panning across handwritten letters and handwritten notes and handwritten you know drafts by Hemingway and so uh, I I did a little thinking and I came up with some tips how to write uh, like Ernest Hemingway how to how to um, kind of capture his his particular handwriting style uh, loosen your grip relax your hand uh, use a fountain pen prepare uh, by using it a few times uh, before letting it sit idle for three weeks, then uh, <laughs> then uh, dashing to your closet, grabbing it, uh, cleaning it hastily with absinthe, uh, <laughs> then racing out the door before someone carrying a toddler tries to stop you and demand your love. <laughs> uh, next, bang your writing hand about, preferably against something of painted steel or the jaw of an unsuspecting rival who only asked you about your day. <laughs> Uh, Strip away any line that isn't true. If you see a false line, draw a true line through the false one. Then write the next true line (laughs) if you even can. (laughs) Uh, Finally, think longingly of the 11 daiquiris you'll drink later that day. And let your line wander off the edge of the page accordingly. And those are just a few tips on uh, how to write just like Ernest Hemingway. I'm enjoying the documentary, though. I really am. You got another one, Ryan?
2: Yeah, I'll I'll give you one last closer from from our summer vacation here. So we uh, pretty quickly into the trip started to notice, you know, license plates from from all over the country and and started pointing them out to each other. Pretty quickly started writing them in the back of my field notes and keeping track of what we'd found and what we had left to find. And uh, we almost made it, so... The note here is, uh, driving home from the airport, we decided to go to Brown Bag Deli, a little sandwich shop in Houston, for the first time in years. Having found 49 state license plates, we only had to drive home to complete our challenge of all 50. We'd searched diligently for the elusive West Virginia with no luck. I began to talk about how amazing 49 had been, (laughs) feeling little little hope on the on the houston highways interstate 59 no luck i-10 nope nothing 45 nada as we followed the ways directions around to the back entrance to Brownback bag deli my daughter brooklyn suddenly shouted west virginia west virginia i slammed on the brakes threw it in reverse and parked in the driveway of a townhouse around the corner from our final stop after two weeks of searching is West Virginia. Amazing. Family piled out of the car, and I explained to the apprehensive of owner walking out of the garage that our family has just tasted victory. <laughs> we took our picture with Heather's phone, then with the stranger's phone, having gained his own bizarre story. We said thanks and goodbye, and climbed back in the car, collectively relieved and incredulous. All 50 states and a bonus
1: Ontario for good measure. Hashtag Griswold. <laughs> Amazing. Did um, did your kids uh, unscrew the license plate while you distracted the owner of the car? <laughs>
2: <laughs> Missed opportunity, but we know where he lives, and so you know. <laughs> <laughs> we go back. He won't know it was us, unless of course he's got a ring camera, and then there's facial recognition
0: oh. technology. When he has your, oh. he does have your photo. God, <laughs> I'm gonna tailspin <tell laughs> again. True. Oh no. <laughs> Amazing stuff. All right. Well, we, uh, we're going to talk fiction. So there are three stories in the Summer Fiction Edition. I'm going to stop the... you right there, Ted. Sure.
1: Uh, unlike last year's Summer Fiction issue, uh, I felt like there was a, one story by Rebecca Curtis, one sketch by Marcel Proust. I think they even described it as a sketch and uh, one excerpt from Sally Rooney and uh, in a weird way i felt like uh, we only got one story the the proust and the rooney were their own thing and i really liked the rooney uh but uh, i don't know i don't, i wonder if you guys got the feeling from these stories from the two non stories uh, that they weren't really stories
0: well, so you think the Rooney—you're saying the Rooney was not a story, per se. Well, the, the Rooney was, yeah. was an excerpt from a novel. I mean, it is not a yeah. story. Well, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I don't disagree with you in the slightest. Um, I'm curious to know your expectations for the issue, and then maybe, you know— what it is about these different kind of you know? After all, it's called the fiction issue, not the short story issue. Oh, checkmate!
1: Uh, you got me, bud
0: Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not against you. Uh, well, we're we're together on this journey of self discovery. But but tell me tell me what it meant for you to kind of be disappointed or or to to find something different than you expected.
1: Yeah, you know, I I I don't even know if I would say that I was disappointed. Um, but I may only be thinking of it because I was reading the three works of fiction uh, with the the mindset of coming in and talking about them and I was remembering the stories from uh, last year one of which was an Ernest Hemingway sketch that I think eventually became I don't know if they called it a sketch last year became the old man in the sea, maybe Um, or was an early working on something like that And so, uh, you know, as I was thinking about how we would talk about them, I thought that in some ways it might be harder to have as much to say about the Proust, and and maybe not so much the Rooney, although the the Rooney story I really liked, but it just makes me want to read the novel. So, yeah, I I also would say that my relationship with the New Yorker is an odd one in that, uh, you know, maybe like everything in my life, but even more so the New Yorker, I really overthink it. And so, you know, the Rebecca Curtis story, which we'll dig in on, is very, like, of the moment, and I remember that Mm -hmm. last year there was a short story that was very of the moment that involved uh, Harvey Weinstein, Mm -hmm. unnamed, and so I start to think about whether they do these things on
0: purpose or not. Why don't we start with the Proust, um, which is really only, yeah, it's only a few pages long, um, and truly felt like a sketch it's called Young Girls uh, it's it, this you know a narrator uh, kind of describing his experience in a seaside town being enchanted by this group of I guess kind of wealthier um, young women and the the aerobics he goes through to try and capture their attention and to sort of uh, rise above his class and, and kind of flit into theirs uh i mean you know just piggybacking on your what you're saying i mean it's a sketch and it's hard to imagine you know i think when you see something by proust i mean his it's so backloaded and it's so uh just just seeing his name on there it became it becomes significant because of that alone um and, you know, the, the merits of um, the piece itself, I think, are debatable. I mean, I, I, th- I thought it was a pleasant sort of atmospheric piece. Um, but, yeah, I don't know if, if it had the intensity of maybe what I would think of as a short story that was, uh, you know, meant to really be kind of an intense um, reading experience in that same way. What
1: I've been thinking about this for weeks, not weeks, what I've been thinking about this for a week is, great, they we're in the situation of having to like be the idiots who are knocking Proust in talking about this story. Uh, Ryan, so, Ryan, what
0: did you think of the story? Yeah, I have no problem with it. Oh, great, um, good deal. Oh, you've <laughs> no. always been a Proust apologist. <laughs> so, well, I mean,
2: I guess the thing I'll bring up first about that is that you know, this is something that is out of a manuscript. You know, f- from 1908, they say that was only recently discovered in the private files of the publisher, and which I just this sort of thing always baffles me that <laughs> that, that that's even possible. Right. It's like, okay, well. I've had it in the cupboard or something for 113 years. Uh, oh, there it is—that Proust manuscript. I've been, I, I've been looking for that for years now. <laughs> right. Um,
1: My grandfather mentioned it quite a bit in it's the uncovered.
2: But I mean, by nature of the fact that it was never published and and you know ostensibly incomplete, it, it is, I think, okay, and people will give it a pass that it seems incomplete. It's just like a, as you say, it's a, a sketch. It's it's just a picture of a story. It's not really a full, you know. There's yeah. no beginning, middle, and end to it, really. But it, I did rather enjoy it, honestly. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a
1: lot about it that I found really funny. What did uh, you find about it that was funny? I mean, not, I'm not, I don't mean it like, <laughs> what could you have so, found about it that I was mean, funny, but... What did you like? He's,
2: you know, there's some interesting things that he says about the town to try to describe how homogenous it is, where he's saying, like, you know, everybody knows everyone else, and everyone leads the same life, and and, and then he goes and says, and we meet up four times a day to play the same innocent beach games, and it's like a a, a, a funny exaggeration to me.
0: That one um, that one hit me hard that's where <laughs> I felt like oh boy yeah that's uh, just but, got back from a beach vacation and I played catch with my son about six separate times in each given day
2: but then there's things like you know he doesn't even he admits fully he doesn't really even need to know these girls he just really wants them to think highly of him and, uh, and something about that concept, he's just, like, somewhat, you know, inse- insecure with who he is. It's just, as long as he feels like they think that he is more than he is, then he'll be happy. And well,
0: uh, I mean, I thought what, what was brilliant about this as a sketch was, and th- these are the lines I underlined as I read through it, where, was that, you know... It, at his age, and perhaps even unique to him as an individual, not in a universal way, he didn't, he didn't care this, this character, uh, how ridiculous he was in their mind. He was just satisfied to be in their mind at all. Right. And he right. said, one of the lines I underlined, they knew, had, had etched into their memories, thanks perhaps to the taint of ridiculousness, <laughs> yeah. what, I, what I'd wanted them to know. And then at the very end, he says, uh, "I had an identity for them. I was the boy with the parasol, even though Monsieur T's friendship hadn't legitimized me in their eyes." So it's like yeah. all of his gyrations to, you know, break down the bar- barriers of class. At the end of the day, didn't even he, he didn't even matter to him as long as he could kind of uh, be strange and and unique and i mean that that to me is even more interesting because it it says something about that character that you know imagine them as an adult you know where it's not so much the trappings of class it's the you know making a fool of yourself and putting yourself out there uh, starts to be your value system and then where does that lead you in, in your life i think think about that in a young person is kind of fascinating yeah I- I was kind of
1: looking for what you guys got out of this story the whole time. and in fact, I, I Ryan I know you had mentioned you may end up you'd read them a while ago and you might end up rereading them. And while I was reading this one, I was kind of jealous that uh, you might have had the time to to read them twice because i I thought there was more to get out of it. Um, I, I was also just at times a little bit just confused by things the whole uh, the parasol thing and the embracing i'm gonna forget the name of the guy that he's embracing but it it just it threw me off a little i did um i did (laughs) i i noticed that he was pining for a red-haired girl and it reminded me of charlie brown and i liked that i liked the idea (laughs) i don't know about uh in search of lost time if there's a red-haired girl that's uh that the character because they say that this is a sketch that i think inspired uh, that book um i it would be great to learn that um Peanuts was um, inspired by uh, Marcel Proust. It seems like there's at least a slight possibility now. So I, I, I liked that a lot. And then there was the one sentence in particular that just the structure of it, it did something that I really recognized that like would not come easy to me. It's a long sentence, and I'm going to read it. It's really the first half that's really what struck me. Um, we were making our way home along one of those streets shaded by plane trees, From beneath whose foliage, the windows of the pastry shop, the shellfish shop, the shooting gallery, the carousel, and the gymnasium smiled at the sun, where one is caught off guard by the tram from the seaside passing through the trees on its way to the countryside. When we ran into the viscount of C., who was staying in C. for several weeks and was walking home with his daughters, two members of the famous gang of girls, the prettiest two, perhaps one of whom was the noted redhead." Um, and the beginning of that sentence, where he is like, where he's found an efficient way to describe the city um, and the view of the city, um, the town, I guess, and the, all the things that he sees. That uh, made me very. I don't know. I wanted to learn from that sentence.
0: Mm-hmm. And it, 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 he uses the sent the structure of the sentence to, to sort of pull back the. The the image I don't know I'm not quite sure how to say it but all right scratch the beginning of that sentence he he uses the structure of the sentence to create dramatic um, progression too I think is what's fascinating about that you know you the, the grammar uh, reveals another detail that's actually dramatic and not just descriptive which is pretty fascinating. I mean, I, I enjoy it for its, I think it fits into kind of a tradition of, um, you know, like seaside, seaside summer adventures by young people, you know, from Chekhov to Colson Whitehead. I like, it's a nice milieu, I think. Um, and so to me, it was enjoyable. I recognized kind of that realm from the get go and I think reading it in the summer, um, adds to that experience too but why don't we jump into let's talk about the rooney and then finish stories unread messages
1: i um the novel comes out the new novel her third novel comes out in a month but there is so this is the story of a young woman and a man who uh, she has known since she was a child and they're never really being able to become a couple um, well, I mean, I guess the never really being able to become a couple is just like kind of the middle of the story until they, they do couple off. Couple off? Yeah, that's what yeah. A, that's what a human would say. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> the part of this story that I, um, that I really liked is, um, I don't know, a, a couple pages into it, we get this section that just takes us through Eileen's life from childhood until she's 29 when we get back to where the story began um and it's done in i don't even know it's done in this very efficient way where uh, i mean i wrote something in my notebook about it when i was reading it but where like years pass in sentences or something uh what did i say she writes uh, long history of the characters in very short sentences many years can pass in a single paragraph and uh, there's a interview that the new yorker did with sally rooney where she said that this is her favorite part of the story too and it is in the novel and it kept k- moving around in the uh, novel and it kept getting rewritten and she doesn't actually think it's necessary at all um but she was she enjoyed it so much that she decided to keep it in there what did you guys think of the story
0: I mean i think that speaks to what i really really like about her style and yeah you you knew about her already i was totally unfamiliar with her work now i'm a big fan um her she's very deft in moving uh perspective subtly and satisfyingly but really kind of dramatically i mean she'll she'll go from you know describing a character as if you know a completely objective observer is simply describing the steps that they're taking in the course of a very you know a very typical 10 minutes to kind of somehow swinging into the deep inner personal life of the character and then even swinging into a different character's perspective and it all happens quite seamlessly it's she's she's, has a really a strong control of uh of what she's doing and and I think once you as a reader feel that then uh there's there's something pretty powerful about her writing and I it's sort of compounded by her not using quotation marks which can be infuriating but (laughs) and you do you really do have to focus because she'll you know she'll have a long paragraph where dialogue is just buried in there but she's so skillful at writing sentences that it feels incredibly natural and never confusing. Uh, And so for her to describe fairly normal events using such skill is rather fascinating to me. And I I will admit I just finished the whole book. It's one of the quirks of of, uh, being related to a famous bookstore owner type person i got to see an advanced copy uh real you'll, you'll get it adam i just uh has to go through my mom first but she's a fast no, reader no i know i know <laughs> i can't what am i gonna say no to my mother don't you know where your bread is buttered <laughs> <laughs> ryan
1: what did you think
2: um i yeah i agree there's a lot i mean when you start a you know I don't. know where this fits into the novel, really. But if you, you know, in the context of just this story, um, you know, when you start it with just the this minutia about her job, and you know, being like a, a copy editor or you know whatever her position was at the time, where she's literally going through describing, going through documents and putting you know, spaces and dots between W.H. Auden and, uh, you know, it painstaking detail of of this boring job and this uh, open office environment and stuff. It, without boring me, it, it was like, all right, she, I mean, it was interesting the amount of detail she chose to go to in different points yep. like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, to to just quickly but very clearly get across the point of, of something like that where it's like, All right, I'm sitting in here in this job and then, you know, that transitions into going and, and meeting the you know, Simon and and kinda of getting into that. And one of my favorite lines that comes right away when when that happens when he's introduced is that she says, Oh Simon, you're so important looking. I'm afraid you're gonna be assassinated which I think is great
1: yeah 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 i think so too
2: <laughs> i i
1: just you made me realize I, I wrote
2: down a lot of lines from 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 this one that that i found really interesting and good
1: it, unique it's like she can't help but be interesting as a writer like uh, i mean I'm, I'm sure it's hard but it, it it seems effortless this and the first two novels yeah. the same way i you, you made me realize that the the first two pages uh, you know i, I think I, I recognized this when i was reading it but i didn't really think it through the first two pages are an afternoon and the next three pages are 25 years of her life (laughs) (laughs) it's um i'm
0: I'm, I'm looking at this section that you're referencing adam and i saw that one of my favorite sentences which i'd forgotten until i'm looking now her father was a car mechanic with a drinking problem and she'd had a disorganized childhood
2: (laughs) i wrote the same one
0: down i mean that's amazing (laughs)
2: love it described as a disorganized
0: childhood <laughs> and I, you know I'll, I'll say for the book just as a teaser um, it, it has all of these same qualities throughout with some really interesting um, interpersonal tension that uh, that that never uh, it never becomes exploitative but threatens to and really it, it, it's kind of it's totally fascinating And her ability to create uh, interpersonal dynamics is uh, very impressive.
2: Do they ever get into what happened with Alice, who, in this story, for the context of the people listening to this, is a good friend of hers that's a successful writer and then suddenly is committed to a psychiatric hospital out of nowhere and they never talk about why or what happens
0: with yes her. she's a she's a, <laughs> she's one of the they are two main characters basically so okay. um yes you will get your alice fixed in the in the, the full novel very
2: good. You know, I had not heard of Sally Rooney before this week either, and suddenly I'm hearing about her constantly. My wife just ordered some books of hers. We're watching this uh,
1: TV show, Normal People,
0: yeah, with, I think based she, on her novel on Hulu. Yeah, I think she's famous now, I think. Yeah. Apparently. Her, after her... So
1: I, I learned of her right before her second book came out from a New Yorker profile by uh, Lauren Collins, actually, and huh. who uh, we, we follow on Twitter. She might even follow us. Um... Probably not. I think she, she
0: maybe she she did maybe for a brief period. I haven't that checked was kind to see of if she unfollowed yeah,
1: us. Yeah, um, yeah. Whose week is it to check who unfollowed us? Uh,
0: <laughs> she she has a great <laughs> newsletter, by the way. She does have she a great newsletter. Up for her newsletter.
1: But those um, both of those books are just the. I mean, they're like this where you just can't put them down, um, and the the writing is really, you know, it's always interesting. What did you guys think of it as? as a story though and as the there's this ending where she goes to church with Simon and it it actually in some ways felt very like I don't know what maybe the idea of or the stereotype of a New Yorker story is where there's this like unspoken realization or something but that always leaves me kind of cold
2: to me it was sort of like a glimpse into, you know, what a kind of normal life together might be, based on sort of the description of of that setting there. Most of the people in the church are old, which I think was, I found to be mentioned as like her kind of picturing what they might be together if they were actually together, but then, you know, they part At at the end of the story is they part. So... You know, to me it was like nothing was really going to change after it. She just kind of got a a taste of what that would be like with him and then leaves again. Ted. And I I don't know if it's called Unread Messages for... uh, Oh, right, yeah. Any reason like that, like... um, But...
1: Right. There's no implicit reference to that. Yeah. And Ted, I guess you re- you read the whole novel, so maybe it, that it's probably hard to put yourself in the mindset of how a, this ends as a, a little, story.
0: It's a little tougher, but I think what I find so interesting about that scene is the way she's watching him um, kind of go through all these rituals and, and ju- ju- the positioning there, I have fi- found, again, to be pretty masterful. Uh, her kind of fascination with, with his you know he's having what seems to be a fairly sincere experience she's experiencing it only through his um eyes which is in a almost kind of you know like their appeal as a as friends is almost seeing each other or, or at least her for her maybe for her is seeing herself through his eyes he's kind of a mirror um for for how she wants to think of herself rather than a interesting person in his own right uh, and I, that whole church scene I think was really thick with that it's like you know instead of her thinking about her own spirituality she just kind of watches him you know go one step after the other and um, you know even in their parting it's sort of she she doesn't seem to be wa- wanting to solve anything in her own mind She's just kind of you know exists in relationship physically to him you know they're apart they're together she's watching him um this kind of thing it's great to hear both of you takes
1: on this because it gives me some insight as to how a like how a human might interpret the end of this story <laughs> um I, I i mean i i i really really liked it and when i get anytime i'm reading a story that ends like this which is sort of a new yorkery somewhat unclear way to end or just you know somewhat ambivalent which is actually i really like an ambivalent ending in a movie but sometimes uh, i get to that point and i go you know i know i should be uh feeling something or having some sort of like (laughs) not even feeling something but having some sort of finding some sort of satisfaction in this emotional this this emotional moment where not everything is spelled out but uh, i i don't always what i
2: I had a similar feeling about it, though, Adam. I mean, just as a, a piece of something broader, yeah. it, it definitely feels that way, and and it's like I've, I'm like I like it, but I don't really know why it works. Um, I think a lot of it is just the, the languages and, the, and and some of those sort of weird structure choices that that we've been talking about. It's like it's oh, cool, I, you know, the, as a story, it's not necessarily satisfying, but I still enjoyed reading it. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and I think it's you know with the first two, it's it's clearly so much about the the context of how, of how the story came about or what what it is um, informs how you read it. But yeah, the the last story, "Satellites" by Rebecca Curtis, was uh, fascinating. I thought it was quite remarkable. Uh, quite remarkable in that you liked it, or fascinating in. Oh. And- some other sort of sense, yeah, no, I mean, I really liked it i was i was uh, I was totally sucked in and just sort of mesmerized and uh, and felt like I was just there I felt like I was on the deck, you know, sort of pinned by uh, social graces, uh, wanting sort of repulsed and fascinated and the whole, the whole smorgasbord, which, uh, I thought, you know, I, I, it, I didn't think of this until as I was saying it, but, um, you know, the, the short story that just popped into my head was, uh, Raymond Carver's Cathedral, where, um, you know, there's a kind of obnoxious narrator and, uh, his wife has invited a guest, you know, to visit and there's all this just bizarre tension, and uh, you know, dialogue that's kind of attacks on on one another, uh, that, you know, but through the veil of kind of social um, social graces. Um, but I, I don't know. I really, it was fascinating. Would y'all think of it? I don't think I liked this story.
1: I think I liked the <laughs> other two much more, but I'm not sure. And I think I was sucked in by it. And so, if you're sucked in by a story like is it maybe your quibbles don't matter right maybe your little quibbles with it can't outweigh it i the more the further i got though i was trying to figure out if uh, these are supposed to be caricatures and it seemed like there was a lot of exaggeration about like the hundreds of thousands and the million paid in yeah um yeah. And, and so <laughs> at some point i just wondered like if other things and other behaviors of the characters and, um, I don't know, the way that they, uh, were talking about their, well, I guess one character's sex life, maybe both of their sex life, was supposed to be some sort of caricature. And then also, the, I, I stopped on this, the waiter at the restaurant, uh, who was just, um very shitty at the one guy for not having a phone and for spreading germs (laughs) and it just seemed unlike i mean i'm sure there have been waiters like that and i'm sure there are difficult waiters but again it just seemed to me kind of like a caricature and that kind of kept taking me out of it a little bit um but but i was sucked in so you know maybe i should maybe my quibbles don't really
0: add up to anything
1: um, I mean, Ryan, that, what do you think? That,
0: that moment with the waiter was the moment where I was taken out of it, where it, where it felt okay, uh, satirical, or something that went beyond the realm of kind of the the human. I, I, I'm totally with you. I think the the hyperbole was a just a fascinating device. I mean, I think the cumulative feeling in my head was like. Was was how you how you characterize people who don't play by the normal rules of like the nuclear family and you know what what's the what's the end point of someone who's capable of making lots of money while also uh, just caring so little about you know the fabric of of a uh, family and and community. Like, where does that go? I mean, I mentioned I was watching the Hemingway documentary. You know, this is not far off from from the life that Hemingway sort of made for himself. You know, there was a line in one of the early ones where they say, you know, Hemingway always found his next love before he dumped his previous love. And you're just like, wow. But th- this, I think, it left me with that same sense of wonder. Like, wow, they really just are... Are working with a different toolkit here than me, at least. Adam, can't speak for what you do in your private life. That's your business. Ryan, you go off on your vacations. I don't know what you do out there in Wyoming. <laughs> Ryan, did you take these characters at face value?
2: I think I probably did more than I should have. I think, uh, you know, I'm trying to reef. Reframe a little bit and think about it in terms of every everything being a caricature, and that does make make some sense. I, you oh, know, kind I don't of un... think
1: so. I mean, I I'm really torn. I don't I, I don't think my reading of like I don't think the caricature thing is necessarily right. I I think you're just as likely, if not more likely, to like to be by taking it at face value. I think that might be what the author intends. So.
2: Yeah, well, I guess what I'm trying to think about with if if they were if everything about it is sort of a caricature of itself, then what it, it, does it have the same? Would it have the same impact? You know, because I'm what you said at the beginning to the identified with is just sort of having that feeling of being sort of stuck on the porch with these two guys that you just are disgusted by in a way, and like like she seems to be um she the narrator and and wife of one of the guys i'm saying um but it's like the you know there's a saturday live sketch about like being the the drunk girl you're stuck (laughs) talking to at a party that like is just going on and on about crazy things and you can't get away and it sort of feels like that and yet you know i I, I enjoyed reading it, but I did not enjoy the characters in the story and no one, no one improves or, you know, so I'm wondering if you sort of dialed them all back, what would there be to the story? Um, but at the same time, it's like the, the husband is this uber rich a-hole with all these kids and to different women, most of which he's has no involvement with and the, you know, his friends, kid like there's just one of them's a drug dealer the twins are on welfare and all this and it's like it's all pretty ridiculous um and so but then even just the whole thing about him trying to tell stories that uh, the friend that the house guest trying to tell his story and that sort of his best story is boring to them and uh <laughs> it's like but
0: um, it's this assault on one's, uh, like, moral compass or something. Like, yeah. it's this sensory <laughs> overload. It almost, I, I have, like, there's that movie, uh, <laughs> Robin Williams, Cuba Gooding Jr. movie, that I think may be, like, one of the worst movies ever made. I don't even think I saw the whole thing. What Dreams May Come, is that what it's called? Where... They're like running through a landscape, and then they realize that it's like everything is painted, like they're in a painting, and they can just glop their hands like through the landscape. But I had this feeling like everything in this story is just like glopping, like just boozy and sweaty and sunscreen and like psychological, like nobody, like everybody's uh, interconnections are so amorphous and gloopy i just had this strange feeling that way as i read it like kind of i don't like you can't get out like it's just hanging on you i thought as a as an exercise in creating that feeling that kind of weird suffocating feeling I, i i thought that was like successful within that within those confines i didn't i didn't care about the characters particularly i didn't uh wish them to behave one way or another. I didn't really care what this this uh narrator was up to or what her motivations were. I mean part part of the other thing that took me out of it slightly was the presence of a child within all of this. And it's like, oh, she went yeah. and kept drawing and came in and left to keep drawing. I'm like, that's not you can't have a child around and have it have that be the experience or uh, that was almost more disturbing than all of the other <laughs> details. <laughs>
2: yeah, that that was bizarre. I did enjoy the part about Achilles, the the friend Achilles booking a private jet to go buy a golden doodle <laughs> because of the
0: constraints of COVID. I mean, it was a remarkable <laughs> passage, like many of the passages were. <laughs> Not truly. Um, there were. Where I, does it end I, I up, laughed. I, don't I mean, know there were there were a anywhere. number
1: of times that I laughed in it. Um, I did like. Uh, including the the knives were hungry biters i mean i really liked that part you know it, it kind of i i when i read the story like this and i it's interesting i can't figure out if i'm supposed to take those characters seriously or if i think they're an exaggeration and i think i could like maybe i'd like the story a little more if they were supposed to be an exaggeration but if they're not supposed to be an exaggeration then kind of a Insulting the author by assuming they are not insulting, but like criticizing the story with your, um, with my miss, with my assumption that's not correct, you know? It's just hard to know whether to, how much you're supposed to take the story at face value. And then I think, like, well, the new, you know, the New Yorker, they've chosen to publish this. So someone has figured out what they think it means, at least. But maybe not. Maybe they're just happy to have a story that really sucks you in.
0: Well, I mean, I, I think it is a story about, uh, like you know Trump loving folks loved by a narrator who maybe maybe is ambivalent or maybe doesn't I can't really remember Uh, but, but I mean it has to be it is a caricature in a certain way I mean there may be some people who are like this but it's a these are sketches of people who who inflame you know some people from a certain political viewpoint are 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 inflamed by it, and we think to ourselves, well, these are the type of people who are voting for Trump um, but but at the same time, you know, if you were sitting sitting there with these folks, you know, would you would you stand up to the 20 year cop uh, you know who's probably pretty charming and has all these stories and say, I disagree, you know, like, what would your response be, or what's your feel? I don't know, I I think, you know, the caricature component can have, serve some kind of purpose for, like, what you bring to it as a reader, and and how harshly you're judging kind of their, you know, their promiscuity, or their whatever, or the wife is judging, but then you're judging the wife, because she, after all, is married to this guy, you know, it's like, I think it does some interesting work in in you know where where you come where you judge people from and where you're coming to it as a reader like i don't think it's devoid of interest just cuz it's caricatures yeah but i, I think, mean maybe you know, that story is really trying to kind
1: of put you in that position to figure out you know to put you yeah. in a position of you know maybe it's exaggerating on purpose and sort of testing the reader i just you know no idea whether that's the sort of thing that's intentional or not
0: and I guess well, why, it does it bo- why does it bother you so much whether it's intentional or not
1: well no no I mean because I think I'm trying to figure out whether I am naive in thinking that the characters are caricatures right am I uh, um, am I so out of touch that uh, <laughs> that I um, just assume that this that these characters are not realistic characters uh or is you know is some of it played up on purpose um, Well,
0: what's interesting to me that you're you're worried more about whether or not your reaction is is right rather than just having your reaction or or
1: well know. okay yeah my reaction the is that are, it, the, the it words on the page are the words not page right my reaction is the that, that uh, the caricatures completely take me out of it and for yeah. everything that i like about it overall gotcha. i'm like what the f- what is this garbage um, yeah that i mean that's my reaction own that yeah own that feeling yeah. own that reaction that 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 is my
0: reaction i think that's valid
2: well, and what is so what do you think of the ending cuz i mean that, that that i think it ties in a little bit with that because this whole time he's been tony the friend the house guest has been getting these calls he's ignoring you know, 20, 30, whatever calls. And it, it's a running theme throughout the story and then ends with him answering a call from his wife who is trying to convince him to get, a to reverse his vasectomy and have kids, though so she has a contract well, to do so. Well,
1: I did not realize until just now when you <laughs> said it that all of the previous calls were also from his wife. I think you're completely correct. It's not, it's not spoken in the story. But I had, I think when he picked up the phone and put it on speaker and it was his wife, well, I don't know, because the other calls were blocked. But, I mean, I think that's an, I I hadn't thought of it that way, that he'd been avoiding the calls from his wife the whole time.
2: Could have been, might not have been, don't know. They don't say, but, I mean, it just kind of, it puts an exclamation point at the end of it to me that it's like, this guy's despicable. Yeah. They're like, both of them are. They're like, man, it's all up to the girl, and it's like, I doubt it, you know. He says he, he doubts it's going to happen, and the question is him having kids or him, you know, growing to have this uh, grown-up friend or whatever. <laughs> like, he's basically just, no matter what the answer to what he means by I doubt it, all of them are yeah. bad. Like, this guy just kind of, yeah. You know. Well, and then, <laughs> okay, so... <laughs> <Dude>. <laughs>
1: I hate the Dave Matthews band. I don't know that I hate them, but I I really don't like the Dave Matthews band. Um, And so I... I mean, part of me in the same way that I believe these characters are a joke, (laughs) um, I think that Dave Matthews band crash into me. I mean, I think uh i i think that that like to me it lends credence to the idea that the whole thing is like a joke and and she says it's the yuppie ballad that her, uh, the the narrator says it's the yuppie ballad that her husband hated but th- that she didn't I, I mean it's what you can kind of read into that uh, but um i hey,
0: i mean i i had my dave matthews band phase but what what could be more horrific than an acoustic guitar version of <laughs> crash into me Played by the neighbors at the beach. I think we can collectively, universally agree that that uh, that is as despicable as these
2: characters. (laughs) I mean, they think the QR code thing is a joke too, because you know it is a thing now where the menus are they're doing that, but to 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 take it so far as to be like, well, you can't eat unless you have a phone. And, you know, these guys are spo- supposedly, you know, these nerdy guys that uh, didn't have any friends and were, you know, chess club and blah, 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 played D&D and that try to paint this sort of picture of where they came from. And then everything else in the story is so just at the opposite end of right of what. You, what that you're is. sort of it's like everything about it. Is you're sort of
0: convincing me. I mean, I think I'm, I'm remembering that the feeling of reading about them being nerds didn't really just didn't line up with right.
2: It didn't quite fit with, with the, who they're supposed to yeah, be. Yeah, now I and, think
0: that was a pretty big <laughs> sticking point. And yeah, yeah, I, I, I sort of I think, I think in my mind I was like, I'm gonna let that go because I'm I'm sucked into their their dialogue and their crazy dynamic. <laughs> but that that didn't work at all actually now that i think about it. it made no sense
1: well and that that whole section not just the waiter in the restaurant but the whole that whole section where the uh, the connor is giving tony a hard time for leaving his phone at home just seemed like uh, like oh you've never heard of this idea that someone would leave their phone at home <laughs> and if someone did that wouldn't you like you wouldn't make a big i just can't imagine i don't know i didn't that that part really took me out of it,
2: but um, yeah, Connor's words were answering your phone when it rang was the meaning of life,
0: <laughs> which I thought was an interesting line, but it's not like something anybody <laughs> yeah, would. Was,
2: ever. That's why I read
0: yeah. it down. I mean, I you know, as I think back on this story, I think what I loved about it was these these characters whose whose only currency was like talking about. Was talking about their lives, you know. Like, they they did have interesting conversations, and they pushed each other, and they they, you know, they gave each other crap about their own mistakes, and then they had to, you know, confront theirs. Like, I think they were uh, like swimming in this very interesting value system, you know. That that I think that, you know that's ultimately what sucked me in, and in a way, I think the exposition, the stuff that existed outside of that was a little more uh a little you know shoddier um but what i what i feel about it what i remember is the way these these this kind of threatening you know friendly and intriguing but threatening uh way that these drunken men kind of exist in the world i i mean that's what i thought was great about the story
2: you know how these guys uh, who came from their nerdy chess club existence started to get the attention of women? How? They put on their pink tie, they got a parasol <laughs> with a handle, they twirled it, they threw each other into each other's <laughs> arms to really just overwhelm each other with the signs of their intimacy
0: so that the women
2: <laughs> would notice
0: them. And it, it worked. worked over Well, and this over has been again. a pleasure to have you, Ryan. <laughs> Always got on, on a Crust joke. Real
2: soon. <laughs> That's right. You know, the people, they Let demand Let us
0: know uh, what y'all, our listening audience, thought of these stories. Uh, head over to takenote.space. That's our website. Uh, there's a say hello uh, page. You can drop us a line. Uh, we are on Twitter at uh, twitter.com. Slash take note pod. Check out Ryan's uh, fictive work at fancychimpanzee.com. And uh, until then, take care.